0: The Guardian. Media Talk is brought to you by the Marketing Agencies Association's Best Awards. To celebrate British marketing and advertising excellence, head to guardian.co.uk slash best awards.
1: It's 6.37 in the morning. It's pouring with the rain outside. I'm standing on King's Cross Station. But it's okay. I've got my coffee, got the papers, got my suitcases, got my train ticket, ready to get on the train to Edinburgh. Welcome to the Bank Holiday edition of
2: Media Talk. Sky's marketing budget is larger than the entire programme budget of ITV1. But it's time that Sky pulled its weight by investing much, much more in British talent and British content.
3: I'm in Edinburgh. I can't be high kicking down the street <laughs> I get beaten up.
2: It's lovely to see so many
4: BBC executives who have made the move up north, um, <laughs> despite some very sensitive issues with their children's education.
5: We're a absolutely stellar alternative broadcaster. We are, should be, I think, the home for modern, intelligent, provocative programmes.
6: Jeremy Vine said he might actually be quite interested yeah. to come to Five. I think he's got a good face, lovely chap. When the first series of ER went out, they were sitting in the green room making
5: episode three. whilst episode one was broadcasting, it would scare me shitless. But When I've been scared shitless, I've done my best work.
1: Well, four and a half hours later, and we're here at Edinburgh Waverley Station. It's beautiful and sunny in Edinburgh, which is excellent. And uh, we've just met a fan, actually, on the train, someone who, weirdly, doesn't work in television and wasn't coming to Edinburgh for the TV festival, but listens to media talk. Hey, it does take all sorts. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm Matt Wells and we're here in Edinburgh for the biggest event of the television calendar, the Media Guardian Edinburgh International Television Festival. Three days of schmoozing, networking, getting drunk, behaving inappropriately. Serious discussion, plenty of serious discussion and lots of silliness. And it's the silliness that we start with because the first session is TV's Got to Dance, which features TV executives making fools of themselves. No change there then.
5: Edinburgh Television Festival. From one day only, it's Edinburgh that's got to dance. Today, six acts made up of the best dance talent the TV world has to offer will go head to head. Any act, any size, any style
7: compete for the ultimate accolade. To be crowned TV's got to dance champion.
1: Well, if you want to see ITV newsreader Mary Nightingale and ITN editor Deborah Turness in hot pants and gym wear, the must-see video is at MediaGuardian.co.uk. Some rather nice boys in there, too. Uh, I'm saying nothing more. So here we are in the foyer of the Edinburgh International Conference Centre, the venue of the TV festival and our base for this podcast. From where I'm standing, I can see uh, Stephen Moffat, Karen Gillan, Wayne Garvey over there, uh, Richard Bacon is around, too, Jay Hunt. Uh, Nice dress, Jay. But it's time to get on to the serious business, the James McTaggart Memorial Lecture. It's the big gig, the one that sets the tone for the whole weekend, and if it's judged right, it can influence media policy for the whole year. Last year, Sky boss James Murdoch famously trashed the BBC as a chilling influence in the British media, and the corporation has been reeling ever since. This year, it was time for the BBC to fight back. The Director-General, Mark Thompson, under pressure on many fronts, took to the stage.
2: I don't believe that the British way of doing television is the worst in the world, or it's quote, unhappy in every way. I don't believe it's threatened by pantomime villains or that the young people of today no longer understand the values of great public service broadcasting or any of the other negative, defeatist theories that are peddled about our industry. In fact, I believe that the real dirty little secret about British television is about how good it is, not how bad. The global reputation of British broadcasting is as strong today as it's ever been, if not stronger. And it's not just the BBC again. ITV, Wall to Wall, RDF, Cellador, Shine, many others. British talent, British companies, British ideas are no longer strangers in L.A. and the the world's other media capitals.
1: Well, after that optimistic start, he rolled up his
2: sleeves and went on the offensive. First up, the press. Systematic press attacks on broadcasters, and especially on the BBC, are nothing new, of course. The first organised hostile campaigns began back in John Reith's day. But the scale and the intensity of the current assaults does feel different. Often reporters freely admit to us, when they ring us about a story, that they know the story they're working on is going to be ramped up, distorted, or just plain nonsense. But as one journalist uh, from a broadsheet said to one of my colleagues recently, it doesn't matter about the facts, they just want to trash you. Then it was on to the main event when Thompson chained his sights on Sky... Sky has an annual turnover of 5.6 billion, of which 4.8 billion is from its core retail subscription business. That revenue line alone is well over a billion pounds more than the BBC's UK public service turnover from the licence fee. And all the analysts believe that Sky is going to get a lot bigger still and will end up dwarfing not just the BBC but all the other commercial broadcasters put together. A year ago, Standing here or hereabouts, James Murdoch fretted aloud about the lamentable dominance of the BBC, but he was able to do that only by leaving Sky out of the equation altogether. Sky is already a far more powerful commercial counterweight to the BBC than ITV ever was. It's well on its way to being the most dominant force in broadcast media in this country. Moreover, if News Corp's proposal to acquire all of the remaining shares in Sky goes through... Sky will not just be Britain's biggest broadcaster, but a full part of a company which is also dominant in national newspapers, as well as one of, one of Britain's biggest publishers. It will be a concentration of cross-media ownership, which would not be allowed in the United States or Australia, News Corp's other two most important markets.
1: We've got Maggie Brown and Steve Hewlett to give their full analysis in a second. But first, here are the instant verdicts of some top TV types.
5: Peter Bazalgette, um, media consultant. Mark Thomas MacTaggart purported to be a, uh, an, a, an answer to James Murdoch's lecture last year and an attack on Sky for not putting more money into British content. It was actually, though, at core, when you strip it away, an appeal to the coalition government not to reduce the licence fee in 2012, but keep it pretty well where it is. It was quite a powerful philosophical defence of the BBC, but he didn't go into detail on things like openness, executive pay uh, and regulation. And so he's going to have to answer a lot more specific questions before he persuades the government. But I hope he does, because I would like to see the the licence fee maintained and more money going into content. David
6: Wheeldon, director of policy for Sky. I think the speech was a bit of a missed opportunity, quite frankly. I I think people came here expecting to hear the Director-General address some of the key and legitimate questions that have been raised about the BBC over the last 12 months, such as what should it do? how much should it cost and how should it be governed and we really heard absolutely nothing about that, nothing new about the BBC and for that reason I think very many people will go away from here quite disappointed.
0: Elaine Bedell, Director of Entertainment and Comedy at ITV. I thought it was a very painstaking and solid refutation of all the recent attacks on the BBC and, and the various issues. For me, it lacks a bit of spirit and a bit of passion.
7: Peter Bale, I'm the uh, executive producer for MSN in the UK. I think that uh, James Murdoch's speech
5: last year had uh, much much better lines and greater impact, in a sense, on the night. But I think
7: Mark touched the points that he needs to touch, and I think he will see the BBC build that argument over months. And I, I hope it becomes a very powerful argument for the value of public broadcasting
1: so that was the instant reaction now uh, for the considered view i'm joined in the press room by the doyens of the media press pack steve hewlett and maggie brown mark thompson steve was said to he needed to make the speech of
7: his life do you think he delivered on it well n- not exactly no i mean it, it's, it's a speech of his life i mean look, he was quite nervous right it was very long you know even he said afterwards you know that he, when he rehearsed it at four o'clock for the first time, he thought, hmm, not bad. Could be a thousand words shorter. Quite right. And so I think he'd have got more bang for his buck, if you like, if it had it been shorter and whatever. But, that, but this, this, this is footling. Actually, what he did do, uh, which is what i think he needed to is he made the ideological case for the bbc uh, for public spending so you know the idea that public investment call it a license fee in a public body let's call it the bbc in a public space let's call it public service broadcasting can have unambiguously positive outcomes because fundamentally what james murdoch said last year was that public investment was always to be kept to a minimum because it crowded out private investment which was morally in every other way better so he made the case that public investment could have unambiguously positive outcomes and that if you cut back on the BBC, you cut back on all sorts of things which the public, at least, really value. Uh,
1: Maggie, now you've been c- coming to the Edinburgh TV Festival for, well, how long is it now? Six years. And, and this is your, uh, so this is the 26th McTaggart that you've yes. heard. I mean, how, how, how is it for you?
8: I didn't think it was very memorable. It certainly wasn't uh, the speech of his life. Steve uh, is right in the sense that he did make a case for the BBC being embedded in British life and being loved and respected and, you know, cut it at your peril, oh, politicians. Where I think it was slightly blind, and it sounded quite almost complacent, is in his failure really to see that people may support the programmes, but they do not support the excessive pay... Uh, salaries and and the general uh, waste that we we know has gone on at the BBC and may still well be going on. And I think that it's wrong just to assume, or I hope he doesn't assume, that he's home and dry because he's nowhere near home and dry. The other thing I didn't really like about it, as well as the rambling nature, but come on, that's a speech and he was also wanting bites. so the anti-Murdoch case was put, etc. I thought if you're going to make the point that he, he made that, that, that there's a case for getting more out of Sky to subsidise programme making on ITV5 and Channel 4 by, by doing retransmission fees, this idea that, uh, that they're, they're getting the bulk of their ratings on the Sky platform from old fashioned television. I think if you're going to do that, which is not a bad idea, it should be done more seriously. It was as if he was throwing away, actually, a good proposal, but he hadn't been bothered to develop it properly. Okay,
1: the, uh, Maggie mentioned it. Let's talk about it. This is the big idea in the speech that that Sky should pay the public service broadcasters, not the BBC because they don't want the money, ITV, Channel 4, and Channel 5, a levy for transmitting the channels. Is it workable, Steve?
7: Well, it potentially is workable. It does. Ha- it happens in lots of other countries. You know, yeah, and he quoted Rupert Murdoch, who's uh, done uh, a deal in the. America. Absolutely. So in that, that's the American way. It didn't happen here for a variety of reasons. When the deals were first done, because remember, the concern initially was that the public service broadcasters would have to be must carry. In other words, that this otherwise the platform, the Sky platform would would develop with no public service broadcasters on it. So the deal was that you know that it was must carry. Now. In the States, they don't have as much must-carry. If something's must-carry, then it's a bit rich to say it's must-carry and you've got to pay for it. If you can choose whether to carry it, then, of course, you may think that paying for it's, you know, much more reasonable. So, um... I, I think in this case, and you know, Thompson made the point that actually the the, the the strength, the negotiating strength, if you like, of the PSBs is rather more than they have t- was originally imagined they would. So there's no chance of Sky not carrying them yeah. because because they generate ratings for Sky. But you say, well, I I think there was something. That's the proposal, and I, I grant you, it was not particularly well. It, it, and it was, wasn't very well developed, uh, was uh, it? It wasn't very well but developed. But there was it's a more. What's wrong
8: for a director general? You know, he's the director general of the BBC. If he's making a, a serious proposal like that, and you say. Uh, it's only really just happened in America this is quite new territory I I think we deserve to hear more from him on that point otherwise don't go near it concentrate your speech and make it shorter on Actual BBC issues well, and the well, BBC's except, problems in its own backyard. Well,
7: except, I think in the case of Sky, he's making a much more serious point. Uh, I mean, look, a lot of that speech was written for Jeremy Hunt, who was in the second row.
1: Yeah, it was funny. It was a, it was a speech sort of for you know two people, wasn't it? Yeah. Jeremy
7: Hunt and, <laughs> and Rupert Murdoch. Right. But the thing about the the, the main point about Murdoch is is the point he made about what happens when News Corp buys the 60x percent of Sky it doesn't already own you could you could have one company in effect one family owning getting on for half the national press and the str- commercial in commercial terms the strongest public service the strongest commercial broadcaster by a country mark now if that were to happen that puts the willies up even conservatives because you can begin to see the commercial power of Sky a billion pounds a year of profits routinely being generated right uh, follow, you know, associated with the opinion-forming power of of his newspapers. That's quite serious. Now, what Mark Thompson is saying is, be very careful, government. This is just not the time to do anything which would undermine the BBC, because he, there are only two big beasts left in the jungle. This conference is pretty obvious, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like it to you? The, the tectonic plates have shifted. It's now Sky and the BBC. It's not ICV and it's not Channel 4 anymore. Well, Greg Dyke was right when he predicted that in his a few years ago, wasn't he?
1: Um, I think what's, what was interesting, what Maggie, was this, this attack on Sky that, uh, that Steve's just been talking about. Just to hear a BBC Director-General um talk about Sky in that way was new and interesting?
8: Well, that's not the case because uh, when John Burt was the Director General of the BBC he made a, a thumping cry for a really big increase in the licence fee uh, in, in the mid-90s yes, in order, when order to into to the strength of no. Sky B. It's always been a worry and in fact this must carry rule which in, in some ways seemed so, so important was actually very much a BBC policy issue. They thought they would be the out, out of the Sky platform. In fact, if the market had been allowed to develop, it's pretty clear that they might well have got their money anyway because they wouldn't have had to pay to go on the Sky platform. Sky would have wanted them and had to because have them. Because they generate them. so many views. Right. So, and and the other, so, in a well, sense, is about, I mean, an example, I mean, actually, of, of regulation being, in some ways, unnecessary because hmm. we've arrived at a state now where we're saying well, let's almost undo that and go back to a market solution.
1: Well, Do you, but do you remember though, that ITV stayed off Sky For a while, and then had to come crawling back, didn't they? So Sky survived without ITV. But anyway, um...
7: well, the the ITV did that in order to try and promote on digital. um... That was.
8: That yeah. ten well, years
7: ago. I mean, yeah, we no sure that.
1: Finally, uh, it does look like then that this is the kind of opening salvo in the licence fee negotiations doesn't, doesn't it? Culture Secretary, as you say, uh, Steve, Jeremy Hunt was here, he, he gave a talk, you interviewed him in fact. Um, what, what,
7: what do you? How do you think it, it'll it'll okay. pan out? The, the interesting thing about the, well, why? sorry look, naturally I interviewed him, it was all fascinating, <laughs> but in all seriousness an interesting point was he distanced himself from the Telegraph. The Telegraph did that piece back in July where they said well, they quoted him as saying, outrageous waste right, I can well imagine the licence fee being reduced, they put the two and two together, made 12 and said, government's going to slash the licence fee, he made it very clear today when he said, that was a surprise, as much of a surprise to me as it was to you, that that is not his intention when he says, I can imagine the licence fee being lower, he's merely reflecting an odd historical truth which is that there is so much money in the existing licence fee settlement for things which will not be needed after 2012, digital switchover, move to Manchester and so on it is perfectly possible to reduce level of the license fee and keep the programming budget correct without damaging the services and giving the government enough money to spend on broadband rollout there's a very very neat compromise brewing here which is that the license fee goes down the bbc gets a bit extra for projects government gets its money and license payers get some money back and of course
8: you know he said we have to be realistic and that's what the message was that we won't fight a realistic settlement
1: great maggie Bryan, steve hewlett thanks very much well, there were several ways of dealing with that speech. I'm not sure that Zambuca shots at 2.45 in the George Hotel bar were exactly the best strategy, but there we are. It's done now. Day two, breakfast, full Scottish, excellent. While my voice and my head recover, I think it's probably best that I leave you with something that we recorded yesterday. I caught up with Louis Spence of Pineapple Dance Studios. I asked him how he was coping with his newfound fame.
3: I mean, nothing's changed dramatically. I mean, I don't feel any different. I mean, people react to me differently in the street because a lot of people know who I am now. But personally, I mean, nothing's changed for me. I still live at the same place, drive the same car. You know, my life is very much the same. So, you know, I still go to work at Pineapple. So I do other things, you know. But, like I say, personally, there's not a huge change.
1: How, how do you... I mean, I wondered if, if you see yourself in your career moving in a, in a kind of more more in the direction of doing more television being a you know being a celebrity rather than just being a being a dance choreographer yeah. is that something that you're um, thinking about doing
3: i mean obviously i mean i'd love to do more stuff obviously because it's um, can be so much more finan- financially beneficial than doing what i do but i actually love what i do i love working where i work it's a huge part of who i am so i'd hate to give that up but obviously you know this is a business i've been in all my life it's not like something new to me i'm not like somebody who's a I think a Big Brother contestant who's gone from working in a shop and never been privy to being part of show business. So it's not totally new to me. But, yeah, the opportunities which are coming are fabulous, and I will be taking some of them, you know, because it can change my life, so I'd be stupid
1: not to. Well, I mean, the character that you put on on television, or that comes across on television, is a very flamboyant, um, larger-than-life character. Is that you normally, or do you put it
3: on for the camera? No, it's part of me. It's part of who I am. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, there's moments when I'm surrounded by... I mean, these are media people. They're not really my people. Some of them are quite boring, actually. But... When I'm surrounded by the people who I love being around, which are theatricals, like at Pineapple, we all just feed off of each other. So, you know, it just becomes bigger and bigger. It's a huge part of who I am. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, I'm in Edinburgh. I can't be high kicking down the street. I, <laughs> I get beaten up. I don't know about Do that. Do you know what I mean? Well, I have been. I was in a kilt this morning and nearly... Well, I say no knickers. I had my, knick- I had my pants up my bum. So every time I spun, my bum come out. But it seemed to work well by the castle. <laughs> and I've got I've got my own clan, actually. Spence, my surname. I can't, I'm, well, I can't remember who I was. Was. Anyway, I've got my own tartan. Uh,
1: I mean, it's interesting. the the the, the issue. I mean, if I can ask you a Guardian-type question, yeah. the issue of representation. On, it
3: wasn't, hang on, hold on. It wasn't Guardian that put me in the rogue list, was it? As gays and said I was a bad gay because I was a flamboyant homosexual. Uh, was it I, Guardian? I don't you know. List? Hold I, on, no, was it? no, it was the Independent. Oh, Independent, right? Well, yeah. Anyway, whatever. I didn't I'm, give a shit. I'm gonna. Well, actually, it was that question I was going to yeah. ask you.
1: Um, are you about gay because you're you're flamboyant?
3: You know, I don't represent anyone and uh, I am who I am. Do you know, if straight people, gay people want to think of me however they want, that's entirely up to them. I am who I am and, I mean, in that poll, I got criticized for being stereotypical. Now, if someone's stereotypical, I think that says it's a majority. That's what I think. If you're saying you're stereotypical straight man who walks around, you know, drinks beer and with a beer gut, you know, there's a lot lot of you. Yeah,
1: but not all all, all gays go hiking down
3: the Royal Mile. Exactly. But what I'm saying is, by saying stereotypical, there's a lot of you, okay? So if there's a lot of us, then why does that make me a bad gay in that sense of what they said? Personally... I am who I am. I don't represent anyone. And the things that are important to me are the people who I love and care for and my small group of friends. The rest of the country, the rest of the world, or whatever, all that's happened to me is not for them. You know, it's not important to me what they think about me personally. So, no, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. You, you don't feel at
1: all that it's important that as, you know, a prominent gay man on, on television, that you put across a, a no. certain image in, 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 no. in a way that, that young gay people no. might feel no. that to you, so they should no. look up to you?
3: No, absolutely not, because I didn't have, when I was growing up, when I, you know, when I realised I was gay, yeah. There was, you know, Larry Grayson on the TV, John Ingman, then kind of people. I'm not saying I'm flamboyant and camp because of them, but then, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel as so. though it's my job just because I'm now in the public eye to be, represent gays or say, this is how you should be. If you want to go high kicking, if you want to walk around and pretend you're straight, and, or not even pretend you're straight, be married with three kids and be a homosexual and then just go and have sex in parks, I'm not going to judge you, that's up to you. Do you know what I mean? I am here and who I am for me, don't, you know, don't look upon me just because I'm in the public eye to represent anyone, because I don't. Be who you are, be happy with who you are and just represent yourself and try and respect everyone else and diversity, because that's the only way you're going to get on in life. I'll take a breath now, you can go. I was just going to ask you, though, and no, that was really interesting. Um, what is it about what you do that you most enjoy? I think just being around like-minded people and feeling, I mean, pertinent like my job, as in at Pineapple and as being a dancer all my life, is the fact I enjoy most. I feel as though I've never really worked a day in my life. It's something that I truly enjoy and I find it so pleasurable and a joy to get up every day and be around the people I'm around and do what I absolutely love to do. And I think there's not many people that can say they do that.
1: This is Media Talk from the Edinburgh TV Festival. I'm Matt Wells. Coming up, we hear from the producer behind Cold Feet, The Deal and Wallander, Andy Harris. But first, at last year's event, it became clear that Andy Duncan, the Channel 4 chief executive, was on his way out. Now he's gone, and with him, a failed bid for public money and a radio strategy that bombed. A new chairman and chief exec are in place, and it's back to basics, with a renewed focus on the content. But there's still a vacancy for the head of programmes. Julian Bellamy is holding the fort and confirmed that he has applied for the permanent job. But there's speculation that he may be overlooked in favour of Jay Hunt, the controller of BBC One. Now, it's not the best of positions to be in, so it was all the more impressive that his performance here was so assured. Here's what he had to say to the festival audience about Channel 4's decision to ditch what is still its biggest show, Big Brother.
5: We have cleared... 200 hours plus of our primetime schedule. We've cancelled our biggest show. It is still commercially viable It is still getting to you know, 2 million viewers and we have used that money and put it into a completely fresh wave Of new faces new talent new shows. We put 20 million pounds plus into our drama budget one of the most risky and challenging genres. We've put more money into comedy and entertainment. We've almost doubled our entertainment budget and everyone here knows how hard it is to find an entertainment hit. So it's a huge and seismic (coughs) risk for the channel, uh, but one that, you know, we've been busting our balls over the last few months to make sure is a catalyst and that, you know, we feel very, very confident about the quality of our commissioning. You know, if you have a look, you know, don't take my word for it, have a look at the the audiences that we're delivering for 9 o'clock. They more often than not do as well if not better than Big Brother. Shows like One Born Every Minute get roughly, not far off, twice the audience that Big Brother gets. So we feel very, very confident, but Let me just say this, make no mistake, you know, it's back to this point. This is an almighty risk. And we will go enter a phase where we are going to try a whole range of things. We are going to enter a phase where we are going to put some big bets on things. Some things will work, some things won't. But that, in the end, is what Channel 4 is about, isn't it? If we stand for anything, we stand for innovation and risk taking. And, you know, I, I, I think it would be an indictment on the channel if it took the path of least resistance. Julian Bellamy of Channel 4.
1: Meanwhile, over at Channel 5, there's a surprise new boss. The takeover by Richard Desmond meant flamboyant former controller Richard Wolfe was out on his sequence. Amid a bloody boardroom cull, acquisitions chief Jeff Ford was pretty much left the only man standing. Ford is now in the top programming job, and I asked him what Channel 5 is going
6: to be like under his regime. Well, it's a bit tricky after a week and a half, um, but I, I've certainly got, I, I've certainly got a, a view on where I want to take the channel. Um, I've chatted through with Richard Desmond, and he's sort of signed up, and really it's just trying to, well, it will be over the next few weeks, getting that across to the controllers and commissioners, because I'm obviously coming to Edinburgh, I'm not gonna blurt out what we're doing and what, like, what we feel we should be doing, it's for it's for my team to hear first, and then we'll build from there. Um,
1: what is it? Give us a flavour of what you're doing at the moment that you reckon is good, and you're going to build on,
6: and we'll carry on doing uh, some program names, for example. Well, we have some huge brands. I mean, you know, Hotel Inspector, Cowboy Builders, Nature Shot. We which regular, uh, Robson Green's Extreme Fishing these shows are big shows for us they would be big shows on any other channel as well and I think that's the important thing you've got to remember uh, and we'll, we've already extended runs on Hotel Inspector we're, which is great, which I, is love a, the well, I love it's, Hotel Inspector and she's brilliant, Alex Blitz is absolutely fantastic we're also going to try, we're going to extend runs on other shows too, we're, we're just in the process of, of, of communicating that to the, uh, to the, the production house so, um, but also it's about new shows and, you know, we can build on those, we can extend those, but it's also building on the brands and the genres that we're very good at, which is Factual and Factent, and, 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 of course, and, and going in, sl- in other different directions, too.
1: Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, Richard, De- Richard Desmond. He's the new owner. Um, he has pledged to pump more money into the channel. You've got, you've got more money to play with?
6: We have um, this year. We're, our our program budget has been increased, so we got more money How much? this year. I'm not telling you. <laughs> and next year, we've got some more money as well, um, tens of millions of pounds. And he's also committed that if an idea comes up that I like, uh, uh, and he's, he's he's he he likes to, because obviously it's his money, um, then he'll he'll ex- increase the program budget and, um, and, and and go for that idea.
1: He's said to be a bit of an interfering boss. Are you worried about that?
6: No, I think at the end of the day, if he was, it, it, it means he's, he's committed and he's interested. And I think you can look at it that way. Uh, as I said at the, in, in my session, you know, it, it's, that happens, I think, with every single boss. If they weren't interfering and interested, you'd be, you'd be worried. Because that means they're not that interested. So I'm sure, yeah, so Gerhard, you know, was, we had some program ideas. Gerhard Zeiler. Gerhard Zeiler from RTL. He wanted to, uh, uh, I will not say influence, but he wanted to sort of have a couple of shows that he thought would work on the channel. And I'm sure that you know Channel Four chief executive also have ideas on how they would like to see the, the channel run. So I, I think it's normal. It's healthy.
1: And what's he like? You've met him.
6: I have met him, and he is a character. And uh, you know, he is a, he is a media mogul. I mean, and a, you know, a multi-millionaire media mogul. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, a very enthusiastic multi-media mogul, and lots of other aims which we just said. Um, so no, I, I, but I do like him a lot. And and he's been so far extremely supportive, and 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 and, as, and just likes what we're doing.
1: Is he going to give you enough money to buy Big Brother? Uh,
6: we're talking to loads of people about loads of different shows Uh, so I'm not really as you you know going to comment on that one particular show but
1: it's not it's not off the agenda it's definitely on the agenda
6: when he went, as uh, when he took over the company, he said he wanted. He was interested in shows like Big Brother, like X Factor, like Coronation Street, like Panorama, like Top of the Pops. Yeah,
1: but unlike any of those
6: shows, none of those shows are up for, are up for sale. Big Brother is. Well, Jeremy Vine said he might actually be quite interested yeah, yeah, to come to Five. I think that you know he's, a, he's he's got a good face, lovely lovely chap. Yeah,
1: all right. Okay, uh, <laughs> what about uh, now? We've seen an interesting development in the in the Express newspapers fa- pa- past few weeks. They've been suddenly uh, very enthusiastic about Channel 5 shows can't think why what kind of uh, what kind of value does that give and what about cross promotion with OK Magazine for example is that something that you're looking at
6: I mean, it's it's a huge shot in the arm for us. I mean, one one thing that that you know always disappears first is in any recession or any when you're squeezed is a marketing budget. And so, being able to have Northern and Shell's publications and uh, magazines and newspapers supporting us actually does mean we're getting a lot of value. And I think it's something like twenty million pounds worth of value in the first month. I, I think I've, I've read somewhere. So for us, it is an absolutely amazing. Uh, thing to have, and the one thing that you know, every, the one thing you know that Richard's very keen on. All he keeps saying is, people don't know about our shows, and he's right. And so it's just about him. So he getting again, supporting us to get people to know about our shows, and of course there'll be synergies with the, with the magazines and newspapers, and we'd be stupid not to uh, to, to utilise it.
1: Synergies with uh, another part of the business, whopping wobblers and all, all yeah, those. Well,
6: yeah, that's always good for a laugh. Um, no, I don't think we're going to be going down that path at all. That's that's certainly has never been discussed. Another. I do think will ever be discussed.
1: Now, the alternative MacTaggart Lecture is usually an event that produces a few headlines. This year, though, they were uh, rather for the wrong reasons. Paul Abbott, the highly regarded creator of Shameless and State of Play, was clearly overcome by nerves and, uh, quite honestly, a lack of preparation. Uh, it was a bit of a disaster, really. Uh, but the subject of drama is an interesting one, so I thought we'd explore it with another prominent producer who was taking part in the festival. Andy Harris is the chief executive of Left Bank Productions, which made Wallander, and is one of the geniuses behind The Deal
4: and The Queen. I asked him to give us his overview of British TV drama at the moment. Well, I think the good news is there's plenty of people commissioning drama, which is good. Sky and um, ITV and uh, Channel 4 and BBC are all commissioning drama. There's no noticeable drop in the amount of commissions, which is good. Uh, I think the hit rate that we all need is not as high as it probably should be. And that's right across the channels. Um, Why is that? Well, I suppose the simple answer is we're not making the stuff that people want to watch in the end. Um, I mean, when you get it right like Sherlock does, you get big figures, big crits, and everyone responds. Um, There's been good shows right across the channels, but not enough of them. Um, uh, There's some of the shows that you've been involved
1: in. Wallander, Wallander, most, most recently... Quite short runs. Paul Abbott, uh, creator of Shameless in his alternative McTaggart today, said that we need to be brave, bolder, and commission
4: longer runs. Do you think that's important? Uh, Well, I don't think all the shows should be longer. I think some, definitely there is a case for longer runs. Sky have taken the lead in that. Strike Back, which we make six six hours this year. Recommissioned within a month, ten hours next year. Uh, that's great. I mean, that's what we need. And, and then that... Sherlock, which you mentioned, you you will know, only three episodes of it. Well, that's true, but there are challenges with shows like Sherlock. I imagine that Stephen Moffat, who's a brilliant writer, is so tied up with Doctor Who, who you know, it's very much his creation. So if you take away the the creator, uh, you've got a bit of a problem. I would have thought so. And I would have thought perhaps the talent have also got problems. I mean, Wallander, we can only sort of do three at a time because of Ken Branagh's um, commitments. So you 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 need cherries on the cake and perhaps Sherlock and one of the other cherries on the cake. But yes, we should have more robust, longer series. I think to some extent, Kudos have been doing that. Uh, I think the challenges in this country are basically the talent base because you need, you know, maintaining... Because quality. there's a smaller talent base. Yeah, smaller talent base, so less writers, less producers who are familiar enough and know how, are robust enough to make uh, to, to make the series uh, strong enough. You know, that's the problem, just keeping the standards up. You need the quality of a long series. Uh,
1: you, your uh, A lot of your background is... In uh, deal making and uh, co productions. Um, uh, what, what does that mean for. Um, is, is that the future of uh, high end drama? Is uh, is that the way to go? And what, what are going to be the consequences of that?
4: Well, I was talking to a lawyer yesterday who works in the television business and who works with drama companies, a lot of drama companies. He said to me he had not done a deal in the last three years for any drama show that did not involve a minimum of three finances, a minimum of three finances. So, you know, to suggest that, just for someone to say co production looks like it's going to be part of the future, It's not part of the future it's the part of the reality now if you without co-production there'd be very few dramas on in fact i think the drama world is really dividing between up end top quality multi-funded drama and essentially soaps at the bottom because that's that low cost long-run domestic drama is all you know of a cost base of three to four to five hundred pounds an hour that's 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 Pulling right apart from the top end stuff. And what is going to disappear, or is disappearing, is the middle ground show. So, uh, what kind of show is that? Well, probably Marriage Single Other would be that sort of typical show. I mean, in a sense, that was, I'm not suggesting that it didn't go to a second series because it was underfunded, but certainly if it had more money, it would have been helpful. But in a series like that is is—it's a struggle to raise international money for it up front. You can only raise international money for a show like that once it's got a longer run. So, had the ITV committed to say 10 hours and had it leveled out and maintained, then I think it would actually be, it would make money. It would. It would would, it would work its way. The problem at the moment is that the middle ground shows have no money going in and if they fall off the air within six shows, then that business model is hopeless. Okay, so that's it. It's all over. It's the end of my
1: tenth Edinburgh TV Festival will there be anymore? I don't know. I think the most exciting thing for uh, for me uh, was going out on the razz with Karen Gillan, who is the um, uh, who plays Amy Pond in Doctor Who, uh, moment of my life. And um, with Jane Martinson, uh, the media editor of the Guardian, how was the festival for you, Jane?
0: I think it's been a really good one. I think it's been much quieter and uh, lower key than previous years, and um, that's sort of the Mark Thompson Mctaggart set, the sort of um, you know public service broadcasting. A fewer people. I mean, the organisers were saying only 50 fewer than last year. Um, but
1: it felt fewer? It
0: felt fewer. I, you know, that was partly because the sort of likes of... Um ITV and uh, Five and Sky weren't really here, sort of senior executives. But At least
1: just, they weren't here in the numbers that they have. Yeah,
0: just a bit quieter also in terms of, you know, the, the sort of big names perhaps. But actually, it felt much more thoughtful, much more important um, Edinburgh than it
1: has done. Uh, do you think that, I mean, looking forward, do you think that that, um, that this one will set the policy debate for the next year? I mean, it is going to be a big year because the the, the BBC's licence fee is up for up for renewal this year, up for debate in the next 12 months.
0: Yeah. I, I think it can't fail to do that, whatever he said. This is the year, really. Um, there's so much happening. You know, the, gov- the new government, um, the licence fee settlement, obviously, this is the sort of... Um, this really has to set the ground rules because those negotiations start in earnest, as they all kept saying, you know, spring, summer, next year. I think one thing that was a bit disappointing, maybe, is, and, and I think what the BBC thought might be taken as um, a great idea, nobody really seems to be running with that retransmission um, fees. Yeah, you this idea of the levy. Yeah, none of the commercial broadcasters have really come out going, wee! And I don't know if Mark really, really thought that was going to be the great big idea. I can't believe he really did. But you know, he they, they sort of positioned him like that. Um, that's I don't think that's happening. I think everyone, you know, it's like Jeremy Hump keeps saying, stop talking about the BBC and the license fee, there's so much else. And actually that's all anyone wants to talk about.
1: Of course, Jane, the Edinburgh TV Festival wouldn't be the, the, the same without the social aspect of it as well. Um, uh, any any uh, particular highlights of that that you can share with us?
0: Um, well, as you know, Matt, I have, uh, I have very high expectations when it comes to Edinburgh and um, I have to say then, I had no expectations when I saw Tim Hinks's band, Bobom yeah. um, but it was, it was actually good. very good right. um, with uh, with Peter Fincham on the keyboards and lots of people dancing unexpectedly including Alan Yentob, who beat all expectations. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you very much, Jane Martinson. Uh, that's it for uh, another Edinburgh. Uh, if you were here, I hope you had a great time. Hello to everybody who came up to us and said they were listeners of the podcast it's great to meet you um, if you weren't here i hope that we've given you a flavor of the event uh, i'm matt wells that's media talk and the producer is ben green bye for now
0: for
8: more great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio